0: Los Angeles Times critic Michael Wilmington told us there's always room for fancy trash and this movie about a gang of punk vampires terrorizing the new kids in town seems capable of providing some. Then the characters open their mouths. Nigel Floyd of Time Out said, directed with a cavalier disregard for intelligibility, this has to be one of the most anemic vampire flicks ever made. And Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian noted that this film, in its artless way, asks us to consider that being forever young isn't a sweet Edwardian invocation of innocence, but a vision of pure hell like vampirism. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of the Lost Boys. <laughs>
1: C re re Which one will it be? It's the child
0: Greetings, starfighters. Those are maggots you're eating. They're <gasps> maggots, starfighters. Are they worms now? Uh. What's the matter? It's just rice.
2: Uh Hey, everybody. Hey, It's Ruined Childhoods. Hey, John. How's it going? Hey, Dan. It's going okay. I have like the day kind of off from work, although I'm getting a bunch of emails that I'm sure I'm going to have to respond to. Uh, uh, and we are leading up to a three-day weekend for the 4th of July, which when you have a young child is just like other work. So... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So this is my day off, day off. This is my weekend.
0: Well, thank you for spending part of your weekend chatting with me about some Joel Schumacher flicks. Yeah. A happy 4th of July.
2: Yeah, July. Yeah, a little uh, behind the curtain. We're doing a double header. We're recording our next episode right after this. So that's why you're not going to hear any like current event news, especially on the next one.
0: And ironically, uh, um, during the daylight, we're talking about this one.
2: Ooh, very much so. Though it is a
0: cloudy day here in Seattle.
2: Same here in Portland. So we're talking about the, the Lost Boys on this episode. But Dan, do you have anything you wanted to mention about our last episode, The Running Man?
0: Oh, so some one more things. Actually, I've got some one more things and just like some news. So um, yeah. and a- actually, it's fu- it all go- it's going back to Hollywood shuffle, uh, but it's brief. Ah, so okay. just about one more thing, because in recent days, as of now, when we're recording this on on July 2nd, yeah, there's been a lot of change in especially in animation and a lot of. White actors who were voicing characters that were people of color have stepped down from those roles and have asked that those roles be cast with the, you know, with people of color.
2: Yeah. Well, we touched on this topic a little bit on the last episode with, you know, shows like 30 Rock removing episodes with blackface. And yeah, it's along the same lines with with anime in, in voice actors. And the conversation kind of got started, I don't know, maybe a year ago. Was it a year ago? Maybe not even with Hank Azaria stepping down as the voice of Apu on the Simpsons.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's within, I think within the past year, it went from him changing his viewpoint to him stepping down. I have, I don't fault Hank Azaria at all. I think he, you know, like things have changed. We talked about this uh, all the way back, episode one, short circuit.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right. Fisher Stevens. So Yeah. yeah, it's definitely been a really interesting time. And of course there's a lot of people who are black who are saying like, you know this isn't exactly what we were asking for oh, you know Oh right yes
0: yes no 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 this is not the you know the winds of cha- this is a this is a slight breeze of alteration not a wind of change
2: not a full on scorpions song oh, so
0: I love that song
2: the another thing and this is a an extreme one where in the episode of the Golden Girls where Blanche and Rose are wearing mud masks and there is a a reference to them not wearing blackface but being black mm-hmm. and that was removed. And that's the one where most people are just like, I think that that one could have stayed. We we could have kept that one. We, It's certainly not offensive in the way that a lot of other well, things have been
0: the the sad thing is is that a lot of what this means and a lot of the the disclaimers that are being added is that the the general audience in America is no longer trusted to understand context
2: right although mad men is not taking down the episode where roger sterling where's blackface but
0: they're adding an
2: advisory oh are they adding an advisory i didn't see that part no
0: of they're that. adding you yeah, no no this is what what prompted this I, yeah. this was the twitter discussion of of the day when i uh when i was on twitter and yeah. decided to it decided to engage and which uh, normally about you know film and and tv i feel pretty safe but uh, that was the conversation about Mad Men. And I just felt like, wow, it's sad because I feel like we're in our education. This, and it, it comes back to the education system. Uh-huh. And, you know, of which I'm a part. So this is true. But this is part of why I teach the way I teach is to edu- like I teach a full unit on satire. My students have to create satire. They have to recognize satire because yeah, satire can be very powerful, but it can also be taken in the wrong con- taken out of context. It's it, it's it's so anyway, um, and then we I'm I'm seeing myself going back into discussions we've already had. But I right. and I have I have another one more thing along a much more fun. Well, note.
2: before you before you move on to that, I just want to say I'd love to know what Robert Townsend thinks of all this. And I as far as I can tell, he hasn't tweeted about anything Uh, But I'd love to hear the perspective of somebody who was very influential in black cinema and pop culture earlier on. Certainly not. And and
0: commenting on representation is, you know, in 1987, if not before. I'd love,
2: I'd love to hear what he thinks. That's all.
0: Oh, me no, me too. That's a great point. And I would, if anybody has a uh, a connect to Robert Townsend. Uh, please have him email us at ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail dot com. That's the one. So, and my my other one more thing for for Hollywood Shuffle was just I remember we were talking about like the fictional Oscar nominations and oh, yeah. movies like The Naked Gun thirty three and a third that have that fictional Oscars and I was trying to remember one. It was Private Parts. Oh, really it was private parts at the end of private parts when he wins when like howard stern wins the oscar and comes down in his fart man costume like from the uh. beginning of the of the movie uh so that that was the f- it was like Harrison Ford, Robert De Niro. Yeah. Is that the first time where
2: uh, Paul Giamatti played a guy
0: who tried to ruin someone's career? Or?
2: Yeah, pretty much. I, I'm trying to think <laughs> if uh, it goes back further than that. No, that was
0: I mean. So Paul Giamatti, we remember him of course from I think his screen debut as guy making out in cafe in Singles. <laughs> Where like Campbell Scott's kind of like looking over at him and Paul Giamatti just looks up and goes like, what? And then like (laughs) keeps making out with the girl. And then he was in my best friend's wedding. Okay. He he had a nice like featured role. He had like one scene with Julia Roberts in a hotel hallway. And I remember seeing that movie and I, I, that movie came out not long after private parts. So I remember seeing that movie. Uh, Oh, it's, oh, it's pig vomit. Right. uh, because that was uh his the nickname sure. for his character in in private parts so funny movie that that i think some of it in light of the me too movement is less i don't enjoy it as much because it's exploitative but totally yet, yeah but there's all there's elements of that movie that i find really uh you know inspirational I mean, the the element of him kind of deciding, like, look, I have to be me and I have to do my thing and right. let the let the cards fall where they may.
2: So yeah. and I think that if today he was making the same movie, he probably would have approached it in a different way, even though at the time that all everything was taking place, you know, he's that's how he was. That's what he did. So yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, we look. We know we we not only grew up in the New York area, but our father was a devoted and is still a devoted Howard is he Stern. Still? Yeah, I mean, I, do you remember Dad had all like the Howard Stern VHSs? He kept oh, yeah. them all at work. But
2: well, it's you know, if you look at his bookshelf and our in our childhood home, it's all about like dead presidents and, and yeah, World Stern. War One, and then there's Howard Stern. Brad <laughs> more, more World War Two,
0: but. That's little, true. That's true. Yeah, So, but but yeah, it's and then the rest is devoted to Howard Stern. Uh yeah. and it's it's just multiple copies of like what his two two or th- or three books and there's like the paperback copies and
2: Yeah.
0: Like anyway, so if you ever need to if you're ever looking to read a copy of Private Parts and your local library is still closed and you live near Cranford, New Jersey, <laughs> email us at runechildhoodspod <laughs> at gmail.com and we will put you in touch with sure, our so, Sure, um, And then my only other one more thing was on the music of 1987 when I was citing yeah. the music on the boardwalk. It was not Cameo. It was The Whispers Rock Steady.
2: Oh. And we begin to rock. Steady. Yeah, hey, hey, throw that in there. Man. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm totally. Now you remember as we're hitting the frogs with the mallets and the Mm -hmm. frogs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, This is a thing that nobody would know would understand what we're talking about. But anyway, it's like our only family
0: vacation video. Right. Yeah, it's it's an artifact. So
2: you're totally right. But speaking of the. the movies or the music of 1987, we talked about Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now, which was, I don't know if it was recorded and written for the movie Mannequin, but it was it definitely. Was. It was. It would not have been Oscar nominated had it not that been. That is it. true. And yes. so I, I just wanted to briefly bring up the movie Mannequin because one of the prominent characters in that movie is Hollywood Montrose, a window dresser. And also, I mean, that's that's what uh, the the main character does, is he's a window dresser at a department store, much like the early life of Joel Schumacher, who was a window dresser at a department store. So... Dan, do you see what I'm doing here? Do you see what I'm doing? Are I, you saying that Joel Schumacher was the
0: inspiration for Mayshock Taylor's performance as Hollywood Montrose? <laughs> Hollywood Montrose.
2: In I, Mannequin and Mannequin 2 on the move? No, I'm just trying to start getting us into talking about oh, Joel Schumacher. That's I mean, all. well, okay,
0: so Joel Schumacher, pour one out. Yeah. I mean, a storied career, and when you think about the films, I would say particularly of the of the 80s there's this school of directors who i feel like n- nowadays those directors would do would make a film that would get them nominated for an oscar and i'm talking about your joel schumachers i'm talking about your richard donners yeah. um your ivan reitmans these directors who made these just hit after hit after hit and, and really, and like good movies, quality movies, Richard Donner, Goonies. Superman the movie, Goonie. I mean, where do yeah. you, lethal, the Lethal Weapon
2: series? Sure. And, you know, Richard Donner, who was a producer on The Lost Boys, was, mm-hmm. uh, I think, originally supposed to direct, um, but then ultimately went on to do Lethal Weapon and... If I'm not mistaken, that's kind of the trajectory of how the story goes. But that that's how it went to Joel Schumacher and Richard Donner was on as a producer, which is interesting
0: because I see the I, in watching the Lost Boys, I I saw such a like not an actual connection. I don't uh, to the Goonies.
2: Well, but... the the original <laughs> script, or maybe not the original, but when it was in Richard Donner's hands, was supposed to be more like. The Goonies plus vampires. It was supposed to be so the Monster be, Squad. Well, yeah, it was supposed <laughs> to be younger kids, but not just Dracula himself, but you know, right? The of vampires well, So anyway, this was mm-hmm. originally supposed to be, you know, ten-year-old kids with vampires. And then when it went into Joel Schumacher's hands, that's when it became the Saint Elmo's Fire <laughs> plus vampires, where it's you know a bunch of uh, late teens, early twenties, yeah, that, that age of vampire, and uh, you you have this like you know sexy hunky vampire vibe rather than like rock the punk,
0: like punk rock vampires, yeah, they're really like just these cool hair metal. Vampires and they are yeah. so, and that that that. So we're talking about Joel Schumacher, and we're we're talking about, and I I think that what we're talking about with all these movies is kind of what defines a Joel Schumacher film and what is the definitive Joel Schumacher film,
2: right? And and a lot. I'm of, not
0: saying we're answering that today.
2: <laughs> no, and if you would have asked me a few months ago, who what movies I thought of when I heard the name Joel Schumacher, I probably would have gone to like Batman forever because it is the like, when I think of him, I think of that flash and that pop. But then when you go back and look at some of the other movies he's done and you come to a movie like falling down and it's like something that has like a haze over it and there's like no color, then it's, it really makes you think like maybe this person actually does have more to him than just the like flash and pop of a Batman forever.
0: I agree. And I think that if you took, when I was watching the lost boys on this recent, you know, rewatch of it, I thought to myself, man, I wish that Joel Schumacher's Batman was like this, let's style yeah. that with Kiefer Sutherland's vampire face coming out of the shadow. Like yeah. imagine a Joker, like imagine like, I mean, Kiefer Sutherland, cause why not? Cause Joel Schumacher worked with him enough. Uh, imagine, like, a, a Kiefer Sutherland Joker with that face coming out of the darkness. And I think that that Joel Schumacher really could have uh, not necessarily taken on Burton's style, but continued much more in the vein of Tim Burton than he ended up doing, which yeah. I think for a long time I've always blamed him for that. And in watching The Lost Boys and in looking again at falling down. And, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about some others and, you know, flatliners. He really has a taste for that darkness, that shadow, you know, where there's always that steam or that smoke coming up from the right damp sidewalk. He really does have that atmosphere. And like you said, you know, he's a window dresser. He knows how to make things look good. And man, I think the Lost Boys, when you, that's one thing I think contributes to a a real Joel Schumacher movie is that sense of youth and transition, whether it's St. almost fire where they're in that, like they're trying to find themselves as adults, yeah. which is also the lost boys, but the lost boys, it's, they're trying to find themselves, you know, uh, Sam and Michael are get, find, trying to find their way through divorce and living yeah. in a new town.
2: Well, why don't I hop into a synopsis and then everyone else can kind of, uh, meet us where we are if they're not familiar with The Lost Boys. Okay. Michael, Sam, and their mother, Lucy, move to Santa Carla, a beach town said to be the murder capital of the world, to live with Lucy's father after a bitter divorce from Michael and Sam's father. Not before long, Michael is enchanted by a girl around his age named Star, who introduces him to a group of mysterious guys led by head weirdo, David. Meanwhile, Sam befriends the Frog Brothers, comic book store kids who warn Sam about the vampires around town. Though he finds it silly at first, Sam begins to notice strange things happening, especially with his brother and his mom's new boss slash beau Max. As Michael gets deeper into life with his friends, he learns that they are vampires and that they're recruiting him to join their crew. Sam and the frogs use Michael to lure David and his vampire friends to their murder lair where they plan to kill David who they believe to be the head vampire because if you kill the head vampire the other half vampires which I'll get into in a moment will become human again when they kill David and Michael is still a vampire it is revealed that Max is the head vampire whose plan was to turn the entire family and to have Lucy as the matriarch to his vampire brood. All plans are foiled when Lucy's crazy father smashes through the house and impales Max with a fence post. So this kind of half vampire thing, I think is kind of unique to the Lost Boys in the world of vampire lore, where basically what happens is if somebody drinks the blood of the head vampire, they are in this transitional stage, which is where Michael is and if once they make their first kill that's when they become full vampire so Michael and Star along with a little kid are still like half vampires and there's still hope for them yeah
0: Laddie who for the longest time I could not tell Laddie male female kind of has like a little mini werewolf look what does it matter and no it doesn't but yeah. i'm well, well i mean when when i was watching this movie when it you know first came out not in the theater clearly because i was like 10 but uh you know on hbo whatever yeah. 6 months later you know yeah back then i'm just like boy is that great? it didn't matter it didn't it you know
2: yeah but when <laughs> you're doesn't... an 11 year old kid you that's what you wonder about
0: yeah exactly yeah. I, well i mean you know in that moment so um by the way and and i I would say this should get a primetime spot on the Practical FX lineup. Oh, yeah. Our network Practical FX. Practical <laughs> FX, man. They did... And I was reading some of the behind the scenes on this. And what's... So what's cool is... Uh, I don't know how you watched The Lost Boys. Uh, did you end up... Did you... Do you own a copy or...
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: So I, I own a copy as well. And I don't know about yours, but mine is like from the first issue DVDs. Oh, okay. It was like Warner Brothers DVDs with like the cardboard covers. Yeah. And the, you know, you flip on one side, it's full screen. And it doesn't have a behind the scenes featurette, but what it has are screens, basically. Uh-huh. Okay. And I thought I would share some of uh some of what these say. Oh and- yeah. And I will post these on our Instagram as well, but just to give you a sense, if you, uh, you know, grab an old DVD that came out like in 1997, like one of the first DVDs, and Mm -hmm. you'll see one of these. So it says, for director Joel Schumacher, a movie about vampires represented a marked departure from previous films, but, quote, I sensed that with this picture, I could have fun without becoming camp. Uh, and he said he thought that there would be a chance to do something original that enjoyed a time-honored tradition. So maybe that's where he's talking about the the added twist to um, you sure. know, to the vampire legend. Which uh, uh, I'm gonna, I have another question to ask about that. But he also said that he was inspired by. So his inspirations were the uh, Anne Rice. Uh uh-huh. series, the Interview with the Vampire series. Oh, um, Anne
2: Rice, who we talked about in the last episode. No, that was Anne Rule.
0: That was Anne Rule. <laughs> um. So, and all other influences include Werner Herzog's 1979 oh. Nosferatu, yeah. John Badham, uh, John Badham's 1979 Dracula. Cool. And the 1983 Film "The Hunger," directed by Tony Scott, which uh, oh, I never saw "The Hunger." It is a good I, atmospherically. I get it, like the balance of of shadow um, and light. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to read all of these, but in speaking about light, light and darkness, and this is something that I really caught on this viewing of of the film. And then when I when I read this, I was like, "Oh God, I'm wow, I'm smart." Um, <laughs> Like, I got you, Joel Schumacher, but that even the daytime scenes have this that sense of danger, like where you see the the missing the the posters of the missing, the missing kids. kids. Yeah, it's this very it's not like you're watching the Steel Pier and Boardwalk Empire and families strolling the boardwalk. Right. Uh, you know, strolling well, the midway.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it's I'll, dangerous. Like, yeah. Santa Clara is not your typical like beach town. Uh, it's filmed in Santa Cruz, but this is a fictional town of Santa Clara. Uh, no, is it Santa Clara? No, Santa Carla. Carla, Santa Carla. Santa Carla, I'm sorry. I apologize. Santa Clara is, is real. Is, is real. I uh, I think that when I typed it in, it auto-corrected to Santa Clara. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're not the first. I'm yeah, sure you won't so be the last. so Santa
2: Carla is a, you know, it's a it's a fringy beach town. It is the murder capital of the world. It's, you know, filled with... Different types of, you know, counterculture, you know, you have your punks, you have uh, surf Nazis, you know, there's, you know, a lot of really, I don't know, fringy people around there. And it's not your typical like tourist trap.
0: I think one of the points of this of this movie, I was reading an an article um, in The Atlantic uh, from a few years ago, written by Brandon Tensley for the uh, on the occasion of the 30th anniversary of the Lost Boys, uh-huh. and uh, you know, I'll just I'll paraphrase him, but he's he's talking about how the Lost Boys is coming out at this time when those like Reagan era values are really getting yeah. pumped into the to the to the zeitgeist to pop culture, and it's the traditional, it's less about like that rugged individualism, more about the the family, the nuclear family and lost boys shows people who are outside of that mainstream, which, uh, you know, coming from Joel Schumacher, who's probably like, I mean, one of the only, one of the few openly gay directors working yeah. in, in certainly working in like mainstream studio Hollywood. I mean, John Waters is, is working.
2: Right. But not in, super no. mainstream Hollywood. No, he's <laughs> not making
0: a tentpole flick for, no. for Warner Brothers, no. And I think what Joel Schumacher is finding this, um, you know, just great way of doing is, is putting, I guess, his experience of trying to fit in while also trying to be himself. It speaks a lot to Michael's experience where yeah. he's, especially when he's the the the, the half vamp... Uh, sure you know he wants to fit in with david and these guys mostly because of star
2: Uh uh-huh yeah but
0: also i mean he's got like you know they drive their motorcycles he drives his motorcycle
2: right there's every reason why he should be attracted to these people and star being the thing that draws him to them yeah and and i mean as we learn at the end max spotted them and is just like get them
0: and what's awesome about Max played by Edward Herman yeah uh poor one we're poor we got poor one out for Corey Hayden yeah oh man yeah so what I love about the character of Max is that Max is is so establishment. He is wearing the most nineteen eighty seven right. with like the pat, like just kind of crazy patterns. Yeah,
2: that- he owns the the local video store. He has this like really shishi, very eighties house. He's got that. Yeah. yeah,
0: well, he's got a house that has like a, a moat, which you know. Right. We, eventually, we discover why. Right. But aside from the fact that you have Lucy, who's kind of looking to fill that, Diane Weist. Diane, man, Diane Weist playing a, in a a divorcee. Uh, I, man, typecast. typecast. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is before Parenthood, right? So. But this
2: is what set the standard, I guess, for Diane Weist's trajectory. But
0: I love it, but also, and also, I mean, similarities to the character. She's this, you know, a former a hippie. Yeah. Who's now, you know, she's got two kids and she's really doing her, her best to take care of them. And she's, you know, she's going out to get a job. She's not going to, yeah. you know, she doesn't waste any off, time off grandpa. No, she doesn't waste any time. And, you know, this guy represent, this guy sticks out like a sore thumb in Santa Carla because he's very you know 1987 and very like you know the latest styles and like benetton and yeah. whatever so you know he's wearing a swatch uh <laughs> yeah so you know where she's looking to kind of normalize mm-hmm. and michael's looking to break out and sam is looking you know we have a cory well, looking for his 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 other Corey.
2: A, yeah he's a he, right this is their the first time that they're on screen together this so uh, yeah sam is looking to find his place he's a comic book kid so of course he gravitates to the comic book store but it's not like he sees the frog brothers edgar and Alan, and is like these are my people it kind of happens because it has to happen no he's uh, kind of
0: weirded out by them
2: <laughs> yeah totally and until he
0: realizes that they that they're right
2: <laughs> well yeah for sure i mean <laughs> Poor Sam, like that town is not for him. Well,
0: and that's and and that's this other, um, you know, question where it in that's brought up in in this article is that, you know, who are the Lost Boys?
2: Right. That's interesting. You
0: know, is it what Edgar and Allen? which are those who are their parents that are just passed out like junkies in the comic book shop?
2: I think so. That's what yeah. I
0: thought. Yeah. So basically that's their parents are the are just strung out.
2: Well, whatever. Yeah, so yes, they are lost boys in a sense. There are the literal lost boys, the kids in the, you know, missing flyers and the milk cartons. Uh there's the vampires which I read somewhere that this script was originally a Peter Pan and Lost Boys vehicle where it's theorizing that Peter Pan doesn't grow up because he's a vampire and the Lost yeah. Boys are all vampires. So, I remember hearing uh, that. Yeah. So it's like that is part of the origin of this. And it's like that could have been the title that just never, you know, left once the Peter Pan aspect left because, you know, it fits. And oh, yeah. It, yeah. It fits so much that like we don't even think about it, you know, when we're talking about this movie and or this movie comes up. And it's like this movie has become a a classic and uh, it's it stands the test of time. It it is a cheesy movie in a lot of ways, but it doesn't feel that way because it is done so well. And I mean, I forget the name of the cinematographer, but like he worked with like Scorsese. He think he did Taxi Driver. Like it's done in a way of like a a really good movie, but for all intents and purposes a lot of the people could see this as a kind of a bad movie. But well- that's it, what makes it so good.
0: It's got a lot of humor to it. Yeah. And there's a lot, you know, the, the climactic scene at, at the end, you know, it's very over the top. You have the guy who gets what uh, impaled into the stereo, which they said it took them right. a day to do that.
1: You missed sucker once, pal. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. Death by stereo is
0: that what he says? Death uh, by death by stereo. Yeah. And yeah, it's Michael Chapman is the uh right. direct is the DP on that Who did Raging Bull? Raging Bull. Yeah. Taxi Driver, The Fugitive among oh. others.
2: Yeah, The Fugitive.
0: You know, it's funny before I got sidetracked. No, I found a quote from Schumacher where he says um you know that The Lost Boys is in a way about the fear we have of the other, those who live outside of the mainstream. Sure.
2: Yeah which are the residents of Santa Carla <laughs> live outside now, the mainstream so except for yeah except for Max in in a lot of ways and the way that he presents yeah but he presents very mainstream
0: well and he represents as then if you start to look more I don't know outside of the box it's you know he's he's capitalism He's yeah. the, you know, the the you know, the video store of 1987. That that was like, man, that was the gold mine. You got yourself a video store. Man, yeah. if you got the first video store in town, you had a gold mine.
2: The only video store in town.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or on the boardwalk.
2: Yeah. So, I uh, you know, earlier I was talking about kind of my perception that I had past tense of Joel Schumacher in the the Batman Forever, Batman and Robin uh, aspect, where there's a lot of glitz and shine and sheen, and nothing has more shine and sheen than Tim Capello, the saxophone player on the boardwalk, which is our kind of like entry into the weird underbelly of Santa Carla. And, and and it's... You know, that's where all the all the weirdos and freaks come out to this crazy, like, boardwalk party. And uh, there's this guy who's roided up. He's wailing on his saxophone and singing this song. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Tim Capello on the last episode. And I, years ago, remember doing a bunch of... Probably just, like, Wikipedia research on Tim Capello. But he... Uh, found music at a very young age and used that to eventually pull him out of his heroin addiction. You know, he kind of clung onto that instead of heroin in order to He does to... not
0: look like he's on heroin in The Lost Boys.
2: No, he is full of pep. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, it's just charisma. It's just pure charisma. So yeah, Surging he was through his biceps <laughs> He was a saxophone player for Tina Turner. He was in the um, We Don't Need Another Hero music video. And Tina Turner really, I don't know, encouraged him to explore his wild side in the costumes he would wear to a point where she actually had to tell him to dial it back a few times, if I remember correctly. (laughs) Uh, He also (laughs) toured with uh, Ringo Starr, and he was in the All-Star Band. He... uh, has appeared in TV shows like The Equalizer and Miami Vice. He's just like kind of been doing stuff for a long time. He recently was on the show The Break with Michelle Wolf, the comedian Michelle Wolf, And he was, there was a segment called Saxophone Apologies. And she talked about the lack of apologies. And this is from Wikipedia. Uh, Wolf addressed the lack of apologies from both Bill Clinton and the press for their treatment of Monica Lewinsky. In relation to the Clinton Lewinsky scandal. So like he would just be playing the saxophone while, you know, talking about people who have overdue apologies to issue. But yeah, Tim Capello uh just released an album called Blood on the Reed. And it's his first solo album. And I believe it has uh the song that he did for um The Lost Boys. I think it's called I Still Believe. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, yeah. So uh, shout out to Tim Capello. Yeah, definitely. Good for you for just like doing your thing, and uh, I don't know, just like sticking sticking with it and and overcoming personal hurdles. And uh, yeah, man, yeah, good for you. He was on uh, a couple of Peter Gabriel albums. He actually toured with Billy Crystal. Okay, so uh, there you go. Great.
0: No, I mean, he, but you're totally right. Like, he is one of those uh, images that. Sets the tone,
2: yeah. For this oh, film, also another thing that pulled him out of his heroin addiction was bodybuilding. So that also, oh,
0: yeah, know. okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so it I guess really so,
2: sets the tone for this movie.
0: Yeah, and and I would say that Joel Schumacher, in terms of setting tone, one of those elements that he uses is just is the. Appearance of characters. Mm-hmm. And I know I, I know that's yes, of course. Um that's that's common sense. But I think Joel Schumacher really uses that well where the with the Frog brothers in their yeah. like faux Rambo getup.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I mean and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but I'm so curious to know more about the upbringing of the Frog Brothers. Those characters are highlighted in the Lost Boys sequels. So there's uh, Lost Boys The Tribe and The Lost Boys The Thirst, I want to say. Yeah, yeah, The Thirst. Um, did you watch either of them? I No, I couldn't track them down.
0: No, me neither. But yeah. I got to say, I'm intrigued about The Thirst. The Tribes looks like a a remake. It's, it's a, it's a remake posing as a sequel.
2: Uh huh. Yeah. Which I, mean, I think
0: Kiefer Sutherland's brother yeah. I think, plays the head vampire. Yeah. You're
2: right. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of just like the, uh, the dollar store version of the lost boys, but the thirst sounds like it, like an actual sequel. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, why don't I just read a, um, Oh,
0: but the tribe, there's an alternate ending to the tribe I read that sets up that, Sam has since become a vampire, and uh, Edgar has to. Uh, oh, Edgar yeah. kills Sam.
2: I think, yeah, because Corey Haim shows up in the tribe. Yeah, yeah, like at
0: at the end. I think I read.
2: And yeah, I think he has a small appearance um, shortly before his passing. So, Lost Boys, the thirst. This is just one of the um, I think user submitted. You know plot summaries on IMDb. In San Cazador, California, the clumsy vampire hunter Edgar Frog is evicted from his trailer, but the bestseller writer Gwen Lieber offers him a job to destroy the head vampire DJ X that promotes worldwide raves to increase his army of undead. Gwen tells that her that her brother Peter disappeared in Ibiza two years ago in an X party promoted by the alpha vampire. Now DJ X is coming to San Cazador to promote, a sacri- to promote a sacrifice during a party in the Blood Moon on the next Friday. And Edgar discovers that the rave will take place in a slaughterhouse on an island. Gwen hires also the Hollywood participant of reality show Lars von Getz that comes with the cameraman Klaus. Edgar invites his brother Alan to join the team, but he declines, and he teams up with his friend Zoe. When the group finds DJ X, Edgar, clo- Edgar discloses a secret about the head vampire. This is a user-submitted plot summary. Yeah, kind of
0: loses track of the focus there. This is not what I read that that intrigued me. Um, but I, let think me...
2: That it, I think that part of it is that the thirst is referring to a drink or some sort of drug that they take. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that that's like
0: that's like the lead vampires blood, and I think there's also something with Congress being infiltrated by vampires. Really? Oh, yeah, boy. Um, I'm pretty sure. I I remembered reading that. Yeah, Lost Boys, the thirst. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go straight to the source to Wikipedia.
2: You know, and, and it's funny because some of the things that I read talking about the. Lost Boys franchise is that, you know, the Lost Boys is a major motion picture. The other two are... I I feel like this term is going to be going away, but straight to video. And I don't mean that just in the sense that, like, what is what does that even mean anymore? But, like, major motion pictures are coming out on streaming platforms now. So there's... It's really just a matter of, like, big budget versus small budget. Yeah.
0: Promotion... Yeah. Um names people involved.
2: Yeah. For sure. Yeah.
0: Like Joel Schumacher was not involved with anything beyond the original Lost Boys. Yeah. Yeah, and it was simply just I guess Warner saying like, "Hey, we can sell some DVDs. Yeah, we can make a couple bucks." Yeah. yeah. So yeah, cuz The Tribe was 2008 and The Thirst was uh 2010.
2: Yeah. So Dan, do you re- do you remember your first time seeing The Lost Boys? I I, you just said probably an HBO experience, yeah,
0: yeah, it was probably HBO. It was probably uh, like I'm sure I I think I taped it off hBO and and had the tape. I might have rented it from Blockbuster mm-hmm. though at that at that like when that came out on vHS, it would have been like what like early eighty eight, I guess I would have been a little young to to get away with renting that i probably caught right. it on i probably taped it off hbo and because it was
2: like, rated r right oh yeah yeah
0: oh yeah i mean you know for the violence of course right uh you know there's that there's that sex scene with with uh jamie gertz and jason patrick but there's nothing really no it's more it's oh. just a lot of lace
2: yeah by the way jason patrick is great in this the cast, I don't
0: have a problem with anyone
2: in yeah. in the cast. No, I, I think that everyone kind of fits their role perfectly. Corey Haim as the like polished, I don't know, 13 year old, 14 year old, whatever. Well,
0: although, you know what strikes me as what o- has always struck me as odd is if he's like 12, 13, 14, that scene where he's like taking the bath and like,
2: yeah, that's yeah, but I I guess to that. Him. 50s music. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah.
0: And I, I mean, I guess that kind of establishes him as being, you know, having that innocence.
2: Yeah. He's just a quirky kid.
0: And, you know, and I was we talked a little bit earlier about the, the rules. So I, that's a question. And what I'm about- just kidding. <laughs> The Anne rule, the Anne Rice rule. Uh, the Anne Rice rule. Yeah, your vampires have to be fancy. Um, but what rules do you have to stick by? At what point do we say enough is enough? Is it Twilight's glittery vampires? That's kind of for me. I'm like, yeah. Eh. I'm like, no, a vampire goes into the sun. They turn like it affects them. That's yeah. sure. like more than just making them sparkle.
2: Right. Yes. And. What also is interesting is that there's always been the rule in vampire lore of a, like, a wooden stake through the heart is something that kills them. And I guess in this case, a, like, an antler from a taxidermied deer can also... Well, or is it anything, just anything through the heart? I always I think, thought that it was just a wooden stake. No, any, but,
0: anything, because, I mean, what, in Rudy shoots him with the arrows in uh, Monster Squad?
2: Yeah, but I... I didn't. Well, I guess. I, oh, just I guess he he makes it, them. He makes but, them. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. so. Yeah. I guess
0: that's an interesting. Does bone count? Does animal? Does like an antler, <laughs> antler. count? Um. What are the? I guess it does in this world. Yeah. Like where do you? Yeah. I mean, can, how much leeway do, do do you have when you're creating a vampire story to to alter those those well, rules
2: in the in the world of the Lost Boys? There is this. Half vampire situation where they right. drink the blood of the head vampire, and the when the head vampire is killed, then the half vampires are freed or whatever. And I think that that is something that, I, as far as I know, is made up for this movie, but it works, and I think I it mean, helps. I mean, I don't.
0: I feel like in Bram Stoker's Dracula, it it's it's like you know one and done.
2: Yeah, and I think that's typically the case. Bite to the neck, and you're good to go.
0: Yeah. Although isn't uh wait, but isn't
2: like Keanu half vampire throughout uh is Red he maybe it was like a, a botched <laughs> procedure. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it was it only no. like half did. It. I don't remember. I haven't watched that one in a few years. Yeah. But yeah, what about the garlic? What about garlic? I so right. Garlic is something that comes up in this one as Part of lore of vampires in general, but doesn't seem to have an effect. But Max, I don't know if like head vampires just like are, you know, because he has a reflection.
0: But it's the other vampire as well. One of the other, I forget which which one, but the one who who dies in the pool because the pool's full of holy, it's holy water. water that has garlic in it. Because right. he's just like, ah, garlic doesn't work, and they're like, yeah, but holy water does, and they
2: right. So it's funny. So I guess that's one of those things where it's like. Oh, garlic is part of vampire lore, but in their world, it's like no, it's not. That's made up. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that was just the garlic.
0: Maybe that maybe Bram Stoker Stoker had some like stock in the garlic industry and like threw that in there. And he was like, people are gonna buy shitloads of garlic if I tell them it'll protect (laughs) them from vampires. Yeah,
2: right. He had a garlic farm. I'm never gonna have to write (laughs)
0: another book again. (laughs) Stoker's garlics. Um, And another thing I really like about this movie is. It doesn't overstay its welcome.
2: No, doesn't. Not it at all. it, it moves. moves.
0: It it gets to where it has to. It gets to where it has to get. the The pace is great. The effects. The, the Michael when Michael's like flying outside of the house oh, yeah. out of control and say like I think the humor and the scares ble- like a lot of the reviews that I was looking over in kind of preparing were were. Kind of just writing it off as being it's like over silly or the dialogue is over silly. It's exactly what it needs to be. I mean, yeah, no, this is not meant to be like this was not challenging the last emperor for the Academy Award that year. No. But it's it holds up and you can watch it today. And there there's not a dip. It's engaging. It's scary when it needs to be scary. It's funny when it needs to be funny. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, that's what's so great is, like, I think it's even just the last line right after the grandpa, like, kills Max, and he's like, that's the one thing I hate, can't stand about this town.
1: One thing about living in Santa Carla I never could stomach.
2: All All the the damn damn vampires. vampires.
0: And you know, John, (laughs) I'm so glad you brought that up.
2: Dan, are we going to have the same idea? We might, we might, we might.
0: But Go first, but, but first I do want to point out before we start talking about our ideas that there has been a series, a yeah. t- a television series on the CW in the works.
2: Yeah. And that's probably picking up off the popularity of like Riverdale and Teen Wolf, how those were kind of brought back as teen heartthrob series. You apply yeah. the
0: formula. Yeah. yeah. Which is not the not the direction that there's
2: also a comic book series if i'm not mistaken i think oh, are
0: are they in the marvel universe
2: you know i don't know
0: i don't know yeah so john um i don't know about so i'm guessing was your idea along the lines of a prequel featuring a young post-world war ii grandpa
2: i wasn't thinking post-world war ii i was thinking like well, pre-world 1930s, because that's I looked up the actor was born in I think 1915, so uh, it would he'd be kind of at that like, you know, right age to do like a 1930s. okay, Santa see, Carla.
0: That's okay. So that's that's one that that's a little different than where where I was going because I was also um,
2: thinking that like. You know, Lucy, Diane Weiss character, I was thinking like before she was around and I figured she probably would have been born sometime in the 40s, maybe early 50s.
0: I have her being born 1947 to 1950. Is that around that time. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I just I just kind of like did some random math and that's where I ended ah, okay. up. So let me explain why I want to have it after she's born. Because. I want us I think that he so first of all, Emerson, we don't know their last name because Emerson, I assume, was her ex's last name. Right. Yeah. So and he's
2: just credited as like grandpa, I think.
0: He's he's grandpa. So he's in San, he's in Santa Carla. Maybe he moves there after after the war and they have Lucy. And whether it's, like, it's in his lineage to fight vampires or he discovers the vampires, maybe he's come back from World War II, it's been a few years, and he kind of feels like he's, like, like many vets did, didn't have as much of a purpose, wasn't living an extraordinary life anymore, and they moved to this town of Santa Carla, hoping, okay, maybe a fresh start will will liven things up, a new job, and he he discovers there are vampires Uh-huh. and he decides he's going to fight the vampires. He does it in disguise to protect his family, which is why in, in the lost boys, not all the vampires really know. However, Max uh-huh. has been around, has been around for some time. Right. And this is why Max is now wants to get Lucy so we have an introduction to max at some point in whether this is a film or a series and maybe max is is i don't know younger or i guess he would be if he's a
2: vampire he'd be the same
0: well yeah so i don't i don't know who you'd cast I don't, um who's gonna pull off an Edward Herman look either that or Max just isn't there but right. you have some you have some type of connection that maybe ends up explaining why Max really wants to have Lucy as his like vampire queen and maybe it's to avenge something that Grandpa did but he so he fights secretly and maybe that's why like he's such a survivalist. Yeah. And where we find him and he's so fried and he lives like out in the middle of nowhere and he's so nonchalant about the vampires, but maybe he thinks he's killed them all.
2: Right. Yeah. That's what I see. One reason why I wanted to do it before Lucy was born is the idea that he ends up like falling in love with a vampire woman or maybe half vampire woman and Perhaps Lucy is the product of that, you know, and that's why Max is attracted to her is because she has, you know, that in her DNA.
0: And that's why Michael's into Star.
2: Yeah. So I found this on the uh, Lost Boys. It's lostboys.fandom.com. It's the like Lost Boys wiki. So here's some information on here about Grandpa. And this, I think, comes from, like, the comic books and all the other stuff around Lost Boys. So, little is known about Grandpa's past before the events of Santa Carla, though he is, or was, an experienced vampire hunter. And I'm just reading this for the first time now. So, And I know. have
0: not read it at all.
2: He moved to Santa Carla into the Craftsman-style house in... Uh, Paganip Creek after his daughter Lucy had grown up and left home he is believed to have died sometime in 1987 supposedly he was turned into a half vampire by the widow Johnson and killed during a raid on her lair however accounts of the Johnson raid are somewhat murky the only conicular Edgar Frog has admittedly has admitted he greatly exaggerated his version of events in the reign of frogs so I'm, I'm thinking is that the I think that's a comic book Series, The Reign of Frogs, in order to make himself appear more heroic than he really was. Some have come to believe that the Johnson Raid is purely a work of fiction, that Grandpa Emerson simply married the widow Johnson and moved away, and that reports of his death were greatly exaggerated so as to afford him the opportunity to retire from vampire hunting. Personality traits Grandpa Emerson has a very droll sense of humor. He enjoys marijuana, Oreos, beer, killing vampires, and stuffing animals. For him, taxidermy is not just a job, it's a labor of love. Um, by the way, this is not in here, but remember how, another reason why I was thinking, like, 30s, I don't know exactly what that car is that he drives. That Not the, like, you know, 50s car, but there's, like, that crazy-ass car that he drives. Oh, yeah. I was thinking yeah. that, like, that would be from that era, probably. Anyway. Okay. Relationships. Grandpa Emerson is the father of at least one child, Lucy Emerson, and the grandfather of at least two children, Michael and Samuel Emerson. He's grandfather of Nicole and Chris Emerson, so that's a thing. Trivia. As the Lost Boys is inspired by Peter Pan, the role of Grandpa is linked with the role of Captain Hook. As the roles are reversed and the Lost Boys are bad in this adaptation, Hook is good. Grandpa shares Hook's mystery and illusion, pers- and illusion personality. He is often seen plotting and at the end is the one to defeat the head vampire, making it clear that he despises all vampires and was aware the whole time. Interesting.
0: I I find it interesting that on that fan site, they give him the same last name, that they all go by the name of Emerson, which I don't know if that's... I don't recall that being revealed anywhere in the film and him just being called Grandpa.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Um, right, so Lost Boys, Reign of Frogs is the comic book series. Um, just look that up real quick. And it is not Marvel. It is Wildstorm Comics. Okay. And it was around May 2008 to August 2008. There were only four issues. So there you go.
0: Okay, not easy to break into the comics world. But um... but
2: interesting that 2008 was the time that the first sequel came out wasn't that 2008? Yeah, I yeah.
0: wonder if I mean they were probably uh tied in together. Yeah, probably. Cuz I feel like that sequel was kind of to establish the frogs, which by the way in in the in, I think in either prequel you would have to have the the frogs. Right. Yeah, like, in, and oh, oh, oh shit. What if uh what if, like the the parents of the frogs who we see as being like burnouts, used yeah. to be vampire fighters, but they got so they they had an experience that traumatized them so much, they just like got they became junkies and
2: yeah. That uh, I I was thinking the exact same thing.
0: Yeah, I like nice. It. Um. Oh, and and I just got to give a shout out because I don't know if we're ever gonna uh, talk about Twister, but. I was watching that movie recently, and it's like uh-huh. Jamie. It's the last thing I remember seeing Jamie Gertz in for the longest time. And okay. watching Jamie Gertz, who was like, you know, especially like nineteen eighty-seven like
2: sitcom, maybe. I think she did like know. a TV show. Anyway, go on.
0: But to see her in Twister, and she does that—that that kind of like over-the-top, uh like that that Southern accent.
1: Uh uh-huh. huh. Hey, it's Meg. I gotta go. I'm going back. Good, good. You'll be safe at the motel. I'll see you in the morning. I won't be there. What? What? What are you saying? I'm saying goodbye. No. You know what? I I can't compete with this. I wouldn't even know where to start. Wait, don't do this now. Please. Sooner or later, we end ended. We both know that.
2: Man, that movie holds up. <laughs> I haven't watched Twister in forever. I got to check that Dude, one out again.
0: It's fun. <laughs> I, I yeah, I, I watched it again recently and it Isn't, is.
2: Is Philip Seymour Hoffman kind of like the, one of the sciencey guys? Right. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Love it. It's, 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 it's the other time that Philip Seymour Hoffman played like the Jack Black role.
2: That, oh, uh, Along, came, along Polly. came Polly. Which, oh my God. He's so goddamn good in that bad movie. He is so good you, I watched that movie
0: just for him.
2: His pratfalls are flawless. The scene where he's like playing basketball and he's oh. just like, like showboating but missing every single shot is so good. Man, oh my god!
1: Let it rain. So I did a lot of thinking last night.
2: And There's
0: something I'm pretty excited about. What's up? Nice.
1: Let it rain.
0: Well, I feel like I might be ready to move on. You know, get my life back on track. So, I'm going to ask Polly Prince on a date. Oh, that's
1: a mistake. She's not right for you, dude. Rain dance! Hey, you guys want to play some twos? You know what? Actually, we're kind of in the middle of a conversation, You so... douchebags bring your egg in? What was that? <laughs> I'm just messing with you, Sasquatch. Let's get it on. Take roll! Take it, roll! Outlet! Outlet! Rain dance! Chocolate! Raindrops! T! T! Come out. I'm burning. My lungs are burning. Come out. Come out. So why do you think Polly's so wrong for me? You don't even know
2: this girl, Ruben. You haven't seen her since seventh grade. So, by the way, it's. I feel like it's kind of rare that we both go with prequel, let alone kind of the same idea, but I feel like we very seldom go in the prequel route. This one really calls for it, though. I will say this, though. I did
0: not think of it until this morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as I was just kind of like doing my pre... I went on a little, little bike ride. Oh, nice. Took a little walk, you know, got a little exercise kind of, you know, stimulate the brain and there uh and i was like oh man i'm like that would actually be a really good... cuz otherwise anything else ends up being a remake it just ends up being like the, you're you're basically just repeating the same formula whereas yeah. a prequel allows and i think that prequel also opens you up for a film or a series cuz it might be better to do as
2: a, as a series yeah and i think that the idea of a santa carla pre vampire pre like fringe counterculture and, like, seeing how it became what it became. Ooh, here's something interesting. What if Tim Capello is a vampire and we see kind of the early days of, like, the saxophone player, like, at maybe a jazz club on the boardwalk or something? And, I don't know. We'd ha- they'd have to do some de-aging. Or, Tim or Capello a- has
0: just always been there on that boardwalk playing the saxophone.
2: Right? Like adjusting, adapting to the times. But I feel like he would be the kind of vampire that eats rats and doesn't want to like eat people. You know, he's he regrets everything and doesn't be more
0: of like a twilight vampire. He glistens. He gl oh, he certainly does glisten, but he glistens in the firelight. Yeah, in the moonlight.
2: (laughs) Tim Tim
0: Capello is the only vampire that I will accept being glittery.
2: Absolutely, and sparkly. Absolutely. and you know it's funny because it's like the Lost Boys. Had it not been for the Lost Boys, we probably would not have Twilight. You know, or the, Stranger I, Things, or Stranger Things. It's yeah, it's the uh, I don't know the idea of the uh, like hunky modern day teenage vampire kind of really started with this. I, I mean, Kiefer, I, I could be the O V, <laughs> Kiefer, and also. Almost every time I think about Kiefer Sutherland, I think about Jiminy Glick, and I think it might have been the movie, uh, Lala, Jiminy Glick Goes to Lalawood Wood, in La Wood, but he's like trying to get Kiefer Sutherland's attention. He's like, Kiefer, Kiefer, Kiefer. <laughs> 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 he's trying to like get an interview on the red carpet and he's calling it, it's so
1: fucking weird. It's so rare that there's an event of excitement in the world of show business, it's so unusual for people to get dressed up and assemble to celebrate themselves. I think that's what makes this night so very special and unique to... Itself. Oh, who's there? In the back, I think it's Alanis Morissette. Or it could be Mickey Rourke. Often, I get those two confused. Right yeah. right 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 this way, Kiefer. Kiefer. Kiefer, 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 Kiefer. Kiefer, 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 Kiefer. Kiefer, Kiefer, this way, Kiefer. Kiefer, 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 Kiefer. The wonderful Holly Hunter is here tonight, and I can't wait to meet Holly because Holly is someone that my wife Dixie and I have often role-played. She'll be Holly Hunter and I'll be Garth Brooks. And <laughs> we'll dress up and she'll wear a hoop skirt, and sometimes I will. Kiefer, 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 Kiefer. Oh, Kiefer's coming back. I like him now. But I thought he had passed us. I despised the boy. I thought it was Eric Now he's coming back to do press. Now he's my new best friend. I love this show. on this it all. And you're Canadian, I hear. What's that about? Um. Well, this is a fantastic country. Uh, what is that? What is that about? Um, that was my question, dear. I know. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. But I've never a, actually but had. To but eventually the show will start. Don't you want to just finally answer it? Yeah. I'm, I'm, what is it about? Is it for me? It's it's, it's been a fantastic. It's, it's, it's where I come from, and it's... Um, what? Canada. You're Canadian. I
0: didn't yeah. know that. I've, saw, I've been seeing that movie get some love lately on online. I and saw somebody on Twitter time. today
2: say something like, you know, why isn't Primetime Glick on a streaming service? And it's so... it uh, Michael McKeon as the, like, band leader who plays the harp. <laughs> it's so good. Oh,
0: yeah. I haven't watched it in a long time, and... Yeah. Why is it not streaming? They're great. Yeah. So. The Lost Boys, uh, I would love to. And yes, I would have loved to have seen Joel Schumacher do Batman like this.
2: You know what? Because I don't know. Because I know that if we do talk about the movie I'm about to mention, seeing as how Joel Schumacher has passed, I probably would have suggested he Direct a remake given his history, but I would have loved to have seen a Joel Schumacher mannequin.
0: A Joel Schumacher mannequin? Yeah.
2: Remake mannequin. Joel Schumacher directs it. What? You look at me like I'm crazy, but it's like, this is a movie I want to see.
0: I mean, you know, I'd come to the, you know, he didn't, he did comedy early in his career with, uh, you know, DC Cab. Why does it have to be comedy? Why does it? Oh, yikes. Oh, it could be like a fatal attraction. This is about
2: thing. a person who has
0: been cursed. It's an erotic thriller. It's a supernaturally erotic thriller. Yeah, and representation. We will get an Egyptian actress, and
2: who is, if if nothing else, the king of the erotic thriller, the star of next week's movie, Michael Douglas, because we're going to do Michael, Falling Down.
0: Would Michael Douglas play Hollywood and just do his Liberace bit, or?
2: Ooh, no, he would. He would be the G W Bailey character. Oh my God! He would be the uh, the the mall security guard. All right, stop because
0: I really want to see this, and it's never going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. Um. But but before so before we uh, and yeah, our next movie is going to be Joel Schumacher's 1993 film Falling Down. Yeah. But before we do, from Lost Boys, what would you say are kind of those those elements that make it the like a Joel Schumacher movie?
2: Huh. That's a great question. You know, I feel like I'm only starting to get my mind really into who Joel Schumacher was as a director because, Mm -hmm. you know, I've watched his movies independently throughout time, but like never as a cluster until right now. So I, I... I'd like you to ask me that question when we get to our final Joel Lie movie and we can oh, come yeah. back and talk about them because I want to keep
0: throwing that around. Yeah.
2: Because still, you know, my mind is the, the shine and sheen of Joel Schumacher. And Hey, you know what? Maybe the thing that makes this movie, a Joel Schumacher movie to me is Tim Capello. You, you know, maybe it is the, uh, the look of the vampire. Actually, I, I, I heard that when, uh, Richard Donner first tapped Joel Schumacher to direct this. The first thing that he did was like kind of imagine their look and what they would wear and I think that what if you had if I was to answer right now and ask me again after Joel July is over, but I feel like my answer would be the look of the vampires, you know the fashion of everybody um I think that that would be it,
0: yeah I I really think that uh, style, fashion are, you know, in his DNA as a filmmaker. That and music. Yeah, music. The Just the constant use of... of...
2: Which is funny because, and we're going to talk bits about this in the next episode, but like falling down feels like such an outlier because we don't have any of these elements really
0: not in the way that we see them in the lost boys no. i would suggest that we do in that they manifest in certain ways
2: sure and we will talk about that on the next episode
0: very very much so which we're, we're going to record in
2: about an hour
0: <laughs> yeah well on that note a good journey a good journey